It's so good to have you here at Springbrook this past week. We mailed out 47,000 postcards, and the postcard said this piece of mail could change your life forever. That's quite a claim, isn't it? Well, on the back it said this is an invitation to engage with Jesus Christ, the one person who really can change your life forever. That's why we're here. My God has put us here to teach the message of the gospel to people in this area, to let them know that Jesus Christ is the answer. We have it on our banner outside, and it just uh, excites me to know that so many people are driving by, and uh, they see that banner, and they react in all kinds of different ways, because that's really the critical question in life. How are you going to respond to Jesus Christ? And just continue to pray that God would use these postcards and uh, the banner to draw people to himself. Hey, if you're a guest today, it's so good to have you with us. We're so glad you can be part of our celebration. Maybe you came because of a postcard or you saw the banner or uh, you're just looking for a local church. Uh, maybe, maybe you came because uh, there's a crisis going on in your life and you're not sure how to deal with it. You run out of solutions and maybe God can take care of that. Well, he certainly can help you. Maybe you came because you moved into the area. You're looking for a new church. Well, we would certainly love to be your church home. Or possibly you haven't been to church in a long time. And uh, that's okay. Because God wants a relationship with you. He wants to reconnect with you. Maybe you've strayed from your relationship with Jesus and you want to get back on track with Him. Well, we'd love to help you to do that. Maybe your kids are at a certain age and you say they need some good... Bible education, well, we can certainly give it to them. All I have to say, we're glad that you're here, and we hope that you feel comfortable, and we hope that you enjoy your time together uh, with our family. Well, we're starting a new series. Uh, it's Jesus and Revolutionize Your Life. Uh, the material we'll be studying uh, is this, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Emotionally Healthy spirituality. That is our theme, and that is a mouthful, so let's see if we can break that down a little bit. First of all, let's talk about emotional health. Emotional health is the ability to be self-aware and love well. Everybody has different levels of emotional health. The ability to be aware of your emotions, to know what's going on inside uh, your life. The ability to know when you're having an emotion, okay, what emotion it is, and then be able to process through that emotion. For example, uh, many times people can be angry, and they're not sure what they're angry about. Well, typically you're angry because you've been hurt in some way. But instead of identifying the hurt and going deeper, you just say, I'm angry. And that's not healthy, is it? Then you want to love well. You want to be able to communicate with another person on an emotional basis, like a friend or your spouse, and you want to be able to communicate what the emotion is that you are experiencing and the emotions that they're experiencing. And sometimes there's conflict, so it's important to know what you're feeling and then be able to work through that in a healthy way. That is so critical, and Jesus Christ can help you in this area. Now, certainly, there are some people who don't know Jesus who have healthy, healthier emotional lives than those who do. But I really believe that uh, the only way you can 
experience life and emotions as God intended is when you're filled with the power and love of Jesus Christ. So uh, we want Jesus Christ uh, to bring us the emotional health that He's promised. The other thing we want to look at during the series is contemplative spirituality. Contemplative spirituality. I don't know, I think of a monastery when I read that. <laughs> but it's intentionally listening to God. Intentionally listening to God. And this is a core spiritual discipline that needs to be a part of your life. Uh, it can be part of your quiet time. Typically, people don't do this. Uh, in people's time with God, usually they'll read a passage from the Word and think a little bit about that, and then they'll pray. And But when we talk about listening to God, we're talking about spending time with God, not only in those areas, and those are important, prayer and Bible study, but actually just sitting in silence and listening to what God has to say to you about a verse you just read or uh, a thought that uh, has come into your mind about your spiritual life or your life in general in relationship to God, but really just taking time to sit in silence and solitude and listen to what God has to say to you. Just being with God. I mean, it's just enough to be with Him, to enjoy His presence, and then to listen to Him. And this is the one thing we're going to continue to drive home every week. Because this is just not a quick spiritual tool that you can take out of your tool belt and say, okay, I can tweak my spiritual life here. No, this is a, a core discipline. And I was talking with a lady uh, after the service uh, about a half hour ago, and she was saying, yeah, that's so hard to do. And I agreed with her. It is so hard to do. But it's so important to do, to let Jesus into our interior lives. Now, let's look at uh, this graph that shows you know, a healthy spiritual life. Uh, the idea that we need to love God well, we need to love others well, and then we need to love ourselves well. Now, love God, love others, we hear a lot about that. But what about loving ourselves well? Sometimes we don't do a good job at that. Many of us have low self-esteems and we struggle with different things and uh, we don't think that uh, we're that much worth loving. Oh, God disagrees. He loves you so much, and He wants you to love yourself in a healthy way. And you only really can truly love God if you love yourself. So you have a proper view of yourself by having a proper view of God and His love for you. So we're talking about emotional health, which is critical, but the only way you can have emotional health is contemplative spirituality, letting Jesus Christ intersect at the heart of your emotional life. That's what we're looking for. So, uh, this is a church-wide initiative. So, what we're doing is during this particular setting, we're talking about uh, the topic and the youth group. And they're studying uh, the Bible in reference to this theme as well. Our small groups, uh, they are also studying this. So, we're saturating the church uh, with these particular biblical truths and we want to encourage you on your own time to do the same. We have a couple of different resources. The first is a book by Peter Scazzaro. And he's really the one who's put all this biblical curriculum together for us, the things we'll be teaching and reviewing. And he's a pastor in the Bronx in New York. And uh, he has written a tremendous book that's come out of years of his personal journey called Emotionally Healthy 
spirituality. And he talks about how to intentionally listen to God. He talks about the importance of emotional health, how God wants us to be healthy holistically, and how God wants to enter into our lives in order to make that happen. Uh, so this particular book, if you pull out the green sheet in your program, you could do that for me. If you haven't ordered your materials yet, uh, we'd like you to fill this out. Now, we have some resources left. We're out of small group books, but uh, we have other materials left. And uh, But, again, fill this out before you go back there, your name, your email, uh, the Emotional Healthy Spirituality book, and this would be the core book I'd really encourage you to get if you have to choose. Uh, that is uh, so rich and so deep in terms of biblical insights. Now, the second book uh, you see here on the left side, and that's the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Small Group Workbook. So if you're involved in the small group, you really need to have uh, uh, this particular book. So I encourage you to pick that up and to join a small group. Uh, we still have small groups that are open, and that's one of the best ways to go through this study. And then we have a book there on the right called The Daily Office. And this is going to help you to build that contemplative spirituality, spending time with God, listening to Him. It's going to give you three devotions a day, in fact, three different times that you can spend with God during the day. And you can do one or two or three, whatever you'd like. Read the introduction. It gives you all the details about how to do that. But it's really a very unique way of approaching your relationship with God, and it's going to help you uh, to follow through on this. Now, financial challenges are keeping you from utilizing these resources. Please take advantage of Pastor Dan's discount, just our love for you here at Springbrook. Uh, so just one resource for family. We know a lot of people are struggling today in this economy, uh, and uh, people are out of work. And so, again, uh, everything's half price pretty much here, and you can just check that off. And, again, you can go back there immediately with the green sheet, and if it's in stock, you can, you can take it. We don't have any more uh, small group workbooks, but... Uh, just check this off, or you can put in the offering, and uh, we'll make sure that we get it ordered this week. And in, as soon as we get in, we'll email you and let you know, and you can come pick it up at the office. I'm not sure how fast the turnaround time is, but just want to let you know about those resources that uh, really are important. I, I just can't uh, encourage you enough to fully engage uh, in this series, fully engage by attending weekly, just saying, okay, for the next nine weeks I'm going to be here. This is going to be a priority for me. I want God to do new work in my life. I'm going to be a part of a small group if that works for me. Uh, I'm going to read this particular book and have God speak to me through that. Uh, I'm going to do the daily office. And uh, I tell you, you're going to have wonderful spiritual returns uh, because of that. Now let's talk about uh, the issue that we're dealing with here. This is the iceberg model. What lies beneath the surface? Sounds like a horror film, right? <laughs> it is sometimes in our lives, right? <laughs> what lies beneath the surface? As you know, 90% of an iceberg is underwater. You only see the tip of the iceberg. Now, as we draw this out, you'll see in the next slide, uh, the tip of the iceberg represents your exterior life, what other people can see, what you say, what you do, where you go, those kind of things. Underneath that first level is your interior life. That's what you're aware of to whatever degree in terms of your thinking, your emotions, your motives. 
And then below that is your subconscious. You're not aware of your subconscious, but you do have subconscious thinking, and it influences your interior life and your exterior life. Now, the beautiful thing about it is that God knows everything. He knows all your subconscious thoughts, things that you can't bring up. But He knows all that stuff. And He loves you still, right? I mean, He knows all our thoughts, all our sin, and He loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. So the point being is God knows everything about us. And He wants to enter into our lives. He just doesn't want to be on the exterior level. He wants to be in that interior level. He wants to be working us, working in us. He wants His Holy Spirit to be convicting us, to be encouraging us, guiding us, helping us to figure out how to approach life in a healthy way so we can glorify God and experience life as He intended it. So that is our goal as we move forward, is to let God into that interior part of our life. And we're going to look at the lives of Saul and David. Many of you remember them from the Old Testament. They were two kings, and they approached life in totally different ways. Saul had an exterior spirituality. He was only concerned about what people could see. For David had an interior spirituality. He had Jesus in the midst of his heart and life. He led him into the interior, and Jesus, or Jesus or God, did the work in regards to, again, changing David over time. And both David and Saul had great potential. They were both anointed by God. They both had God at, you know, with an access. They could pray to Him and serve Him and follow Him and... Uh, and they were both big sinners, <laughs> okay, right? David, adultery and murder and Saul and many other things. Uh, but the point is, is that David went deep with God. David listened to God. We're going to talk about that uh, next week. We're using a negative example this week. But David really listened to God. He wrote all the Psalms, most of them. And, and he really processed through and let God take over his interior life through contemplative uh, spirituality as we're going to continue to talk about here. So, let's take a look at the life of Saul. And there's so much about Saul in Scripture. We're just going to take one story to illustrate how he did not let God into the interior of his life. 1 Samuel 15:9. But Saul... Now, let me go back one step here. Samuel, who was the prophet of God, he was the mouthpiece of God, he spoke for God, uh, would talk with Saul and tell him what God wanted Saul to do. So, Samuel told Saul that God wanted him to wipe out the Amalekites. Now, why was that? Well, first of all, because the Amalekites were extremely sinful, and they needed to be judged for their sinfulness. Secondly, because the Amalekites, because uh, they were so sinful, God didn't want the Amalekites and the Israelites intermarrying and, uh, you know, mingling their societies because he knew that they would take the Israelites away uh, from God, uh, lead them away from following God. So uh, when he said wipe them out, he meant everybody, their animals, everything. Take them all out. That was the order that came down from God through Samuel. But, we read in verse 9 of 1 Samuel 15, but Saul and the army spared Agag. Now, he was the king. 
Why didn't he want to take the king out? I'm not sure. It could have been that because if he took the king out, then other countries might have said, hey, Saul's coming after me. He's killing me. So the kings would take uh, again, go to war against Saul. So he saves the king, disobeyed God. And the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good in regards to the livestock, they kept. These, they were unwilling, disobedience again, to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So what they did is they kept the king, and they kept the best animals for sacrifice to God, the sheep and the cattle that were in good health. I can imagine Saul rationalizing. He says, well, i got this plan from God. I'm supposed to wipe out everything, but I've got a better plan. The better plan is to keep Agag around. That's a political move. And to keep the sacrifices around because I know uh, the animals, sacrificial animals around because I know that God loves sacrifices. So, I mean, why would He want me to kill it? He told me to kill them, but I'm not going to kill them. I'm going to keep the best sheep and cattle so we can sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, he had a better plan than God. Have you been there before? I've been there before. God's got a good plan, but i got a better plan. All right? Yeah. Well, that's where Saul is. And that really is the point. Is we see uh, many times Saul reflected in our own lives. Well, God communicates to Samuel that Saul has disobeyed in 1 Samuel 15.10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. So God said it's over for King Saul. And Samuel was the one who had, again, appointed Saul as king. He had been his closest advisor. Uh, and he knew that Saul was going the wrong direction. Saul had done other things like this. His heart was not in the right place. He kept disobeying God. But when the word finally came down and God said, Saul is going to no longer be the king at some point in Israel, Samuel just broke down. He, he was just, again, grieved just like God was because he had the best uh, desires for Saul, that he would, again, serve the Lord well, but it just was not working. Saul was not obeying, so... Samuel was all torn up about this. And he was going to have to go tell Saul this. We read this in uh, verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet with Saul. But Saul wasn't there. He was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Now, what's the problem with that? (laughs) Saul has disobeyed God. And what does he do? He sets up a monument to himself because he thinks he's done such a good job. Anybody set up a monument to yourself recently? The living room, the bathroom, your office cube, maybe just a few pictures, endorsements from different people. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's a prideful thing to do, and people do have ego walls and all that kind of stuff, right? But the point is that the Saul thinks that, hey, everything is great. You know, what a great victory. Hey, we got some spare time. Let's set up a monument to me. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> so uh, 
I'm sure Samuel is wondering, what is going on here? Uh, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. <laughs> Saul is clueless here, okay? He thinks everything's great. Hey, Samuel, I'm so glad you came. Let me tell you what I'm... Let me tell you about the victory. I'll show you the monument if you'd like. It's right over here. And Oh, I tell you, God is so good and we're serving Him. The problem here is that Saul was not connected to his interior life. A little bit, of course. But again, he had a totally different way of viewing his life and his relationship with God. And he was not listening to Samuel from the other times that Samuel had tried to confront him. Uh, he was just kind of doing his own thing. He was not going to let God into his interior life. He was running the show. And he had rationalized it so many times, he thought that he actually was doing well. And hey, that can happen with us. We can be on the exterior side of our Christian life and say, I'm going to church, I'm part of a small group, part of a ministry, I'm, I'm being a good person. When in reality, our, our life is a mess because our thought life, is full of sin and we have all the wrong motives and we're not letting Jesus in to clean house. That's where Saul was at. And I love this verse. I remember laughing about it when I was a kid. Uh, but Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? I, I thought all the animals were supposed to be God, but I hear a lot of animals, a lot of livestock. It's kind of like you, you tell your child to clean up the room, and uh, you walk in, they say, I'm done. You look around, and you cannot see any change from when you uh, ask them to clean their room. And you say to them, hey, can you inform me about what part of the room you've cleaned? Because I can't see it. Maybe it's under the bed, in the closet. Uh, <laughs> I don't see it anywhere. That's the way Samuel is. He's saying, what are you talking about, Saul? I hear this livestock that you were supposed to wipe out. Well, Saul answered, the soldiers brought the blame game, right? That's what people do. And when they're caught uh, red-handed, they, they start to blame others. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of our sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we just totally destroyed the rest. So again, here's the rationalization. Now, now listen, let me explain this to you, Samuel. First of all, the soldiers, I mean, they put all kind of pressure on it. It was their idea. Right? And so I just, I just had to follow what they said. And, and they're going to go to be sacrificed. Isn't that great? You know? But, but hey, we took care of everything else. Ninety-five percent of this stuff we wiped out. Now, isn't that good? Who? hundred percent. Come on. That's unrealistic. I'm at ninety-five percent. Ninety-five percent is not good enough when God asks you to do something. And you do it ninety-five percent. Well, this is the, the challenge uh, that Saul has. Is that uh, he is uh, not letting Jesus into his interior life. And he's not uh, being straight. Um, okay, let's move on in the passage. And let's look at characteristics of unhealthy emotional spirituality. Let's look at uh, what we see here in Saul, kind of sum it up. 
The first thing is saying no to reflection and self-awareness. We've talked about this. Saul does not want to reflect upon his life. He doesn't want to become self-aware of his sin issues. He just wants to keep moving and get his stuff done. So Samuel just nails him. Samuel says, hey, you have sinned. And how does Saul respond? Well, Saul says, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. So he does own up to it to some degree. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. What is he saying? He's saying, okay, you caught me, but I was afraid of the people. Now, why was he afraid of the people? Because Saul's core problem was pride. He wanted the acclaim of the people. He wanted to be number one. He wanted to be the most popular king in the region. That's really what he was all about. It was all about pride. And therefore, when people started to put pressure on him to save the livestock or save the king, whatever it might be, he says, I'll do that because the favor of the people is more important than the favor of God. Some people are like that. They'll do anything to please other people because what people think of them is more important than what God thinks of them. That's where Saul was at. His idol was himself. He was worshiping himself. And he wanted to be a very, very famous king. And that's what drove his behavior. And he never took the time to actually look at his motives and see if they aligned with God's will. We look at verse 30. Saul replied, I have sinned. So he repeats his confession. But please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. What situation we have going on? Well, he says, I've sinned. But then he goes on to say, but please honor me. Back in that day in Israel, when you were coming back from battle, uh, you needed to have, in that day, Samuel right there. Samuel was a representative of God. So if Saul was going to get the credit and praise that he wanted, Samuel needed to be there. People were looking for Samuel and Saul. And when Samuel was there, that meant, hey, this was a true victorious battle for God. And they're going to have a great celebration because that's what Saul was looking forward to, getting all the praise and acclamation. But if Samuel wasn't there, there'd be all kinds of you know, questions in people's mind. Where's Samuel? What's wrong here? Samuel should be here. And Saul didn't want that. So, so he says, listen, okay, okay. Right, right, Samuel, I know I've sinned. I own that. But please, please come with me so I might be honored. Oh, that doesn't, does that connect with you? <laughs> I've sinned, but honor me. You know, he, he's just trying to get his agenda done. He's not thinking about what's happening in his life. I mean, if he would have said, Samuel, I am so sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. I continue to make this mistake over and over again. And I know it's wrong. Samuel, I know you love me, and I, I just need your help. I need you to show me how do I change my motivations? How do I get in alignment with God? How do I be the king that I should be? 
And Saul had that choice. But he didn't want to go there. He didn't want to look at the sin in his life. He didn't want to look at the emotional baggage. He didn't want to look at the, the painful things that had happened to him that, that he chose to do, okay, uh, in the past that, that, that made him the man that he was today. He just blows right past that stop sign. God continues to put stop signs in our lives. He speaks through people. He speaks through His Word. He speaks through circumstances. And He's saying, stop! You've got to look at your interior life. You've got to let me in so I can help you. And we blow through those stop signs and say, no, if I just go faster, if I just give more time and energy, I'm going to get what I want. And it leads to a lot of pain. In the end, when we don't follow God's direction. So Saul continues on in his pattern of life. Uh, You think about uh, his relationship with David. What happened with David is that David uh, became well known in Israel. He went to battle. And uh, women would cry out when they came back from battle. Saul's killed his thousands. And David has killed his tens of thousands. Oh! You know, the way Saul was wired, oh man, that really made him angry. And there was only one way to solve the problem, and that was kill David. So he threw a javelin at him, javelin at him three different times. God saved David's life. He sent him into battle. Saul sent David into battle. God protected him. Soldiers came to David's house. God protected him. He even sent him uh, to collect 200 foreskins of 200 Philistines. Now, you think that would have got him killed. Uh, but no, God protected him. Uh, friends, he was filled with jealousy. And he couldn't see straight. And it destroyed him eventually. And, and this is where we need to take a moment and take more time as we move throughout this series to, to be quiet before God as we learn these biblical principles and just to be silent before Him just to be with Him, and then to see what He has to say to us. Where where are we so weak? What thing in our life is driving us toward destruction and we just keep blowing through stop signs? Is it jealousy? Is it lust? Is it hatred? Is it materialism? What is it that, that keeps... Getting us off track with God. And we need just to stop and say, something's got to change here, God. Come into my interior life. Fill me with the power of Christ in order that I might change these things because I can't do them on my own. We've got to be self-aware. We've got to reflect. We've got to practice contemplative spirituality and listen to God. So, that's the first characteristic. No to reflection and self-awareness. Saul also said no to personal personal relationship with uh, God, which is the idea of spending time with God in this context. Uh, we read in verse 22, But Samuel replied, and he's confronting Saul about his sin, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of ram. So, Samuel understands this justification. He says, okay, this isn't mine. Okay, Saul, I know you justified this because you wanted uh, the praise of people and 
you're thinking, oh, it's so much better because I'm bringing back these sacrifices instead of uh, sacrificial animals, instead of killing them. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Rhetorical question, right? What's better, obeying God or giving Him more sacrifices? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. To obey, that Hebrew word also means listen. Because, you see, when you're obeying, you're actually listening. You're working with your children, and you're trying to teach something. They continue to do something wrong, and you continue to tell them, do not do this, and you give them the reasons and the discipline and all kind of stuff, and they keep doing it. They are not listening to you. They might be audibly hearing you, but they're not listening. The idea of listen is really understanding and saying, yes, that is what I need to do. Heed is not pay. It says, and to heed, that means to pay attention, to really hear what somebody's saying. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Paul, you did not heed. You did not pay attention. You did not obey. I don't care how many lambs and cattle you have. It doesn't matter. God is just pleased with you. We go on in verse 23. For rebellion, he's talking about Saul here, is like the sin of divination. It's witchcraft. And arrogance, which certainly was another the issue with Saul, like the evil of idolatry, of having little idols that you would set up back in that day, different, they had multiple gods that they would worship when they weren't uh, recognizing Jehovah as the only God. Or, uh, yeah. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. That was so difficult for Samuel to say, and I'm not sure how much Saul understood it at that particular time that it, it was coming to an end, his kingship. And uh, if he just would have, if he just would have stopped at one of those stop signs, and took some time to let God speak to him, but he didn't. And friends, I know my own life, and I know the nature of people. And we so many times just blow through stop signs. God is trying to get our attention, and we just keep going. One of the challenges we have is that we live in a fast-paced culture. We're moving at the speed of light. And our culture tells us we need to move at the speed of light, that we need to invest in our children and that we need to invest in our career and we need to invest in entertainment. And you know, we need to do all these things. And it's just way too much for us, but we continue to do it. We continue to buy into these lies. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of gadgets out there to help you, you know, speed things up. And I'm a gadget guy. I mean, I've got my camera here. And I've got uh, my Bluetooth. Oh, don't you love Bluetooth? I mean, just instantly you can talk with people. They're right there. Uh, Handheld. You don't get a ticket. And uh, then i got my voice recorder. This is my memory, okay? Otherwise I'll forget. Oh, and I picked this up the other day. This is a, uh, a mag light that I got at Lowe's for $4.98. Put it on your keychain. I tell you, it's amazing how, how often you're in the dark, you know. Uh, but I'm getting off the subject here. So, so I've got all these gadgets, but I, I've got my ultimate gadget. And I've been around for a long time, so I've been through a lot of gadgets and a lot of, you know, uh, generations. But now, 
I've got my droid. <laughs> I got my smartphone. Man, and this does make me smart. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. I love the droid. I, I was tempted by the apple. I was tempted by the apple, okay? I uh, thought about it. I looked at it. And then somebody told me, you can't configure the apps on the home screen. I'm saying, what's the deal with that? I want to be in control here. Nobody's telling me what's on my home screen. Whatever. But the point being is that with this particular instrument, I can control my world. If you have the, the software, a software, ZumoCast, made by Motorola, you can control all of your computers, all of your data. Everything is there instantly. And that's just a shameless plug for uh, Kevin McDunn, who's in charge of that project at Motorola. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I can access everything. And I can access the Internet. All the wisdom of the world is on this little device. And I can listen to music. And I, I, I can listen to podcasts. And, and I can play games. And I can check the weather every five minutes. It's all there just for me. And you know what this gives me? This gives me the ability to have no downtime in my life. No downtime. I am always on. If I'm waiting in a line at the grocery store, I can pull this thing out. I don't care how long I have to wait. I can get my work done right here. Nobody's going to frustrate me anymore. I got my GPS. I'm never going to get lost again. I am going to again be able to get up in the middle of the night. I can't sleep. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to have downtime. I'm not going to lay there and maybe God say something to me. No. I'm going to look at the news. What's happening? I checked it at 10 and something happened before 2 a.m. I'm always on and that's the problem. We're always on. The world tells us to be on. The world sells gadgets so we're always on. The world tells us you've got to accomplish more. Now tell me, how are we going to listen to God when we're always on? That's hard to do. And that's the biggest challenge I think you'll face. Because the culture tells you to be on. Your sinful nature tells you to be on. Accomplish. Succeed. Get ahead. Get the maximum out of life. And God is just waiting for you to stop. To stop and spend some time with Him. To listen to Him. And friends, this is not easy. This is not just one summer. Okay, I'll go out and do <laughs> That's where we're having a whole series out of. How to stop and intentionally listen to God because it is hard, hard work. It's People talk about going deep spiritually. This is what it is, man. You, you can come out here every weekend. You're never going to get to where God wants you to be. You can listen to every preacher on the radio. You're never going to be where God wants you to be. You can read every Christian book that comes along. You're never going to be where God wants you to be. You can read the Bible three times a year. You're never going to be where God wants you to be. You need to stop. And you need to take the information you, you've taken in and you need to listen to what God has to say to you about your interior life, about the mess that sometimes it is. And let God work. 
Another tool that God uses is suffering. Saying no to being broken through setbacks and difficulties. Saul didn't want anything to do with setbacks and difficulties. He kept blowing through those stop signs. David was a barrier. He was going to kill him. He wanted his life the way he wanted it. And he viewed suffering as just a, a barrier. But friends, we as Christ followers need to view suffering as the greatest tool in which God grows us. The first thing that Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Who is a person who is poor in spirit? A person who is broken. A person who knows they're weak. A person who is dependent on Jesus every day to get through the day. And if you're not there, you have a lot more maturing to go. And once you're there, you realize you've got even further to go. You know, we're just so prideful. We want to do it all ourselves. We want to be in control. We want to call the shots. We want to... I mean, you know, this past week with the stock market, hello! Well, things are getting better. Things are getting better. Things are getting better. Oh, there goes the last year. Does that, does that teach us anything? Did you stop and think about that for a moment instead of lamenting your 401k? Did you stop and say, hey, I guess I can't count on my 401k. Who am I going to count on? I guess God is the only one I can count on for the future. You've got to make appropriate plans, but when it comes right down to it, it can be wiped out so quickly. Let's look at Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 through 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Now, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel just before Moses uh, dies. He's reiterating the law in Deuteronomy to them. And uh, he's basically saying the reason that God brought you in the wilderness was to test you to see if your heart was really with Him. They had been slaves in Egypt and they were dependent upon the Egyptians and Life was tough in Egypt, but at the same time, they, they at one point wanted to go back there because at least there was security, there was good food, they said. Uh, and so now they're out in the wilderness. So Moses said the reason for that was he wanted you to depend upon him and not yourselves and whether you really were going to follow God. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Very interesting when you think about this. Manna was just a particular type of bread. And it wasn't extremely tasty from how the Israelites responded to it. (laughs) So here they were, they were hungry. You feel sorry for these guys. They're out in the wilderness. They have to cry for their water. They have to cry for their food. Why? Why is that? Because God wanted to teach them that I am your provider and no one else. So eventually when they cried out, He gave them water. When they cried out, He gave them manna. And why do you just give manna? I mean, why not Jimmy John's? I mean, I, I can get excited about Jimmy John's at least for a month or so. Right? I mean, why manna? Why, why such a generic, you know, Kind of tasteless bread because he wanted them to learn 
God, you're the only thing that can truly satisfy. And why every day? I mean, why do we have to go out there every day to get the manna? If we get more than that day, it goes rotten. I mean, come on now, Costco, they give you enough for a year. Right? Why every day? Well, it was every day because God wanted to teach them every day you have to depend upon me. Every day you have to come to me. I want to be your rock. I want to be your provider. And that's what he was teaching them. And friends, some of you are going through wildernesses in your life right now. Emotional wildernesses, physical wildernesses, relational wilderness. And and every day you wake up and you go, why God? Why? Why me? Well, one of the reasons, and I know it's very difficult, one of the reasons is to teach you to depend upon Him. Because suffering is His greatest teaching tool in our lives. I know that's true in my life. When I've suffered, I've learned the most. I've grown closer to God. So I know it doesn't necessarily warm your heart to hear that. But... Embrace the suffering. Don't waste the suffering. That's the worst thing is to suffer and not learn anything from it, right? I mean, if you're going to suffer, you might as well learn something from it and grow closer to God. Now, I want to look at uh, seven symptoms here of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Now, there's ten in the book, uh, but I just picked these out. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to practice some silence and solitude. Well, not really solitude. We'd all have to leave. But uh, <laughs> some silence. Uh, and we're going to go about two minutes. And I want you to pick out which of these uh, God speaks to you about in regards to, uh, you know, where you need work. And really, I mean, most of them we need work in, right? But one that really points, you know, uh, comes to your mind. Uh, using God to run from God. That was Saul, right? He was running from God, but he was still playing the game. Ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. You don't deal with those emotions. You just kind of stuff them and you move on. Dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. I mean, you got your your church life, your church friends, and then you got something else going on on the side. Doing for God instead of being with God. Always action-oriented and not spending time with God, enjoying Him. Uh, covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Uh, you don't deal with it. You try to hide it. It's not part of the way life should be in your mind. Living without limits. You're just going in all directions, trying to grab as much of life as you can. There are no boundaries in your life, and you're stressing yourself out. You're stressing your family out. Judging the spiritual journeys of others. That means that, you know, I don't feel good about my spiritual journey, so I'll nail you on stuff uh, so I can feel better about myself. Not any... I'm sure maybe one of those hit you. Right? <laughs> so what we're going to do here is we're just going to be silent uh, for two minutes. And uh, we are going to uh, go to the Lord. And if you just want to be with God, just enjoy His presence, that's fine. Or uh, if you have one of these that has uh, jumped out at you, just say, Lord, you know, ask Him the question. How, how can I grow in this area? What do you want me to do? And see what he says.
All right. That's two minutes. Seem longer than two minutes. <laughs> now they go. A little bit uncomfortable. Thoughts racing. See, it's a skill to listen to God. And you just got to keep practicing and practicing and practicing. And for me, number four, doing for God instead of being with God. That's my main area, among others. You know, I'm, I'm action-oriented, and let's get this thing done. And I certainly in my life have not taken enough time just to be with God and enjoy Him. So you can pray for me on that one. Uh, we all need interior work done, right? Good interior decorator. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> This is going to be a this is going to be a very powerful journey, friends. I, I, I was about to say fun, but I'm not going to say fun because it's not necessarily going to be fun. It's painful to look in the interior, isn't it? But I tell you what, man, if you're looking for power for everyday life, if you're looking for answers, uh, please join us. Make this uh, a commitment for the next two months. Saturate yourself with the materials that we have and uh, let God speak to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, for Peter Scazzaro and the materials he's put together to help us understand your word of God better and our relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that we would open our interior lives even more than we have in the past to you and speak to us about our lives and encourage us. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, If we could have our Ushers, come forward at this time. Hey, we gave you a pack of five postcards as you came in. And uh, I was talking with somebody, and uh, they said that the postcard has value in itself because it's like, well, it's just the good news of Christ. You give this card to somebody or leave it on their door, you know, it's another way of God saying, I'm the answer. Okay? These cost eight cents apiece. We want to thank you for your stewardship of your resources to get the good news of Jesus Christ out. And... You know, if you want to make a commitment to get five of these out this week, you know, you can put them on the neighbor's doors, leave them at work, wherever you feel led to. Take these with you. If you if you don't feel that uh, desire, just leave them there, and we'll use them again. But uh, we want to use these because God can always use these in different ways. So uh, thank you for giving to the Lord.